Welcome to the Bill Cartwright Show with Steve Cohen. Our special guest is the co-founder and provost of College Unbound, Adam Bush. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill and Steve. I'm really excited to be here with the both of you. You know, what I'd like to do is to kind of get to know you really quickly. I, I really love that. Can you talk about where you grew up? And let's talk about mom and dad for a minute. Yeah, you bet. Uh, my dad was Brooklyn born and raised and my mom, Los Angeles. Um, so my dad was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. Uh -huh, that explains um, it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. After the game. Um, and then uh, he went to medical school out in California. Uh, she was an, an actress and they, uh, they met and fell in love, moved back and forth between the coasts for a while before settling back with family in, in L.A. Um, and that's where I grew up. Uh, uh, Showtime Lakers die hard over the years. And um, I went to school in New York and spent a lot of time around both jazz musicians and folks who are writing and thinking and working with jazz musicians. And that notion of like being surrounded by folks who improvise and improvise together in their practice of music making or in organizing really became important to how I thought about how I wanted to live my life as well as what I wanted to study, the type of teaching and teacher I wanted to be and the work I wanted to do in the world. That's really interesting. Can you talk about that? And, you know, I want you to kind of talk about what kind of kid you were like when you were in high school. And then as you went to college, how and why did you make that, that decision? Hmm. Um, so I was, I was a kid who uh, even, uh, you know, when I was 18, I still looked probably 13. Uh, I, um, I was always someone who was friends with their teachers, like interested in um, sort of learning and thinking with how people share information and how they're involved in one another's lives. Um, jazz was always the music on in the house growing up. And so when I went off to New York, it became the way I wanted to engage in the city and explore. And as I got more and more involved in studying things, it also became the way I wanted to uh, think about spending my time. I'm, I'm not a very good musician, but when I started hanging out with musicians, I had to be able, I had to be good enough on an instrument to justify why we should all hang out. So I, I became a so-so harmonica player. Uh, and that was something I could always carry around with me and fake my way well enough on stage to do that. We'll talk about college, talk about where you went, why you went there, yeah. and then talk about this harmonica thing because I, I play a little guitar, not well, but uh, I'm, I'm still making noise. You got it. We can make the, the Bush and Bill uh, blues band if you want. <laughs> um, so uh, I went to Columbia and I was sort of this like undergraduate guinea pig of the Center for Jazz Studies that was starting uh, in about 2000 to really think about um, jazz music and jazz musicians as political organizers, activists and thinkers in the world through their music were creating new ways of being together and imagining possibilities how the world could be. Um, and so that, that story comes out in 
in music. It also comes out in how people interact, share, and create ways of being together. Um, and so it wasn't, wasn't music classes necessarily I was taking as much as uh, American studies, history, political theory classes about understand how people interact, share, and imagine together. So who was, did you have any individuals that were influencing you then, some professors, somebody outside of school that, that were influencing your thoughts? Oh, yeah, man. Um, I, I mean, I have all these professors from those days of Robin Kelly, the historian, Bob O'Mealy, uh, English theorist and, and um, uh, author and memoirist of, of Ralph Ellison. Um, but I also used to every week go down to um, see Barry Harris lead community workshops in Midtown. Barry Harris is one of those last great um, bebop musicians who, while he still played in clubs all the time around the city, also weekly for the last 50 years was holding uh, open call community workshops for folks to just play together and learn together. And so that idea of learning not just happening in the classroom, and in places where people are paying tuition for it, but that learning's happening all the time and how do we honor and respect, create different ways of engaging and supporting one another became really important to me. So as you're leaving Columbia, talk about your next step from there. Yeah, um, I moved home right after it. I, um, spent a little bit of time my grandmother was 92 years old then and I, I spent a while sitting with her and uh collecting and and um listening to her oral history um and i'd spent a lot of time also reading jazz musicians autobiographies so this is how people tell their life story how they value different experiences and moments as these pivotal moments who they think about as their mentors in the world um, and what it led to is I, my grandma let me borrow her uh, old Cadillac sedan, the Ville, and I hit the road uh, and spent the next few years living out of that car, interviewing jazz musicians all around the country, um, talking about their own experiences as kids um, in those early days of black music being taught in public high schools around the country in these hotspots that were hotspots of learning, whether or not they were hotspots of performance. So like 1917 Birmingham um, was the first classroom that really had a black music program. Uh, and it's because students organized and demanded that the school reflect who they are, what they wanna listen to and what music they wanna create together. And that idea of students, learners as organizers, insisting that their space of learning reflect who they are, uh, is, is and was really important to me. Um, and so I spent those years listening to those stories uh, and then think about how to write and tell that story and, and how, you know, there's that great Ralph Ellison quote of like, this music demanded action. You couldn't just listen and not do stuff. And so what, what did that, that music and those stories demand? So as you gather that data, what did you do with it? Yeah, that, um, it, I didn't know how to think about it, write about it. And that's what led me back to school. Um, 
one of the folks in, in Birmingham that I was in a lot of different cities, but, but in Birmingham specifically, uh, the, one of the folks I was writing about was a musician there, uh, was close friends with, uh, Angela Davis's mom. And so we started to, uh, think and listen together. And so I went to study, uh, with her in a program called history of consciousness, a PhD program at UC Santa Cruz. And, um, so I saw higher education as a space to, uh, engage in thoughts and ideas, and also try to figure out how to build and create and imagine, um, what to do with those stories, that it wasn't just going to be a binder of stories on a shelf, but there was, there's a real um, insistence and mandate that if you're hearing why and how people organized in history, it also gives you the tools to create and organize and imagine in the present moment. That is amazing. So I'm going to ask you again, with that data that you just gathered, what, what were you hoping to do with that? I don't know what I was hoping to do when I started. Uh, I mean, maybe when I was I started it, it was just um, uh, I had all these uh, teachers in my life who I cared about, who I wanted to uh, continue to think with. But really what evolved out of it was um, you couldn't just listen to the stories as these artifacts of history. And so I started to think about improvisation differently. It wasn't just something to research. It was also a way of teaching. And so I started to think about the space of learning, but then improvisation for me also became this um, ethic of institutionalizing like that, that there's a way to imagine different structures with improvisation at its core. Um, you know, I spent all those years doing oral histories. Oral history has something in uh, you think about like shared authority. Like it's not that the story becomes mine. It's that we're in relationship together and our, our learning and sharing back and forth. And so that idea of shared authority and shared ownership was also really uh, interesting and informative to me. And so as I start to um, base my work more and more in higher education, what came out of that is there, there needed to be different ways of thinking about higher education, not just as something that people leave behind their communities to go get a college degree that separates them from that community that they're connected to, but that you can embed it within folks' rich histories and neighborhoods, much like community colleges have done for years and years, and and that state systems have been set up. And um, when when this work started in 2000, for me, it was like 2006, 7, 8, 9, you know, the the number floating around is there was a 89% stopout rate for first-generation low-income uh, students to finish their, their bachelor's degree. And that's not, as my co-founder of the college would say, that's not that these students aren't college-ready. It's that our institutions are not student-ready. They're, they're not responding to the needs of folks in, to navigate higher education. Um, and so as we started to think about college unbound as an initiative, and we use that word unbound really purposely, pushing against college as it was, uh, we started to think about what, what are the pieces of a higher education? If you can close your eyes and imagine deep learning together, what are the ways that you would do it? Or what are the ways that you already do it in life? In, in locker rooms, in, you know, around the kitchen table, 
in public libraries? What are the ways that we're already learning and how can our institutions reflect that? And so it, it laid the groundwork for College Unbound that in 2015 became the 13th post-secondary degree granting institution in Rhode Island, uh, then has been fully accredited and now has the ability to be uh, an online school that can exist throughout the country to support all kinds of adult learners who don't see themselves reflected in institutions as they are and wanna gather differently and see their work differently so that higher education can help them be full participants in, um, in a degree that uh, can be transformative. Can you talk about that a little bit and what led up to that um, College of Bound? Was there an awakening? Was it a conversation? Was it a, a buildup of another job? Because look, that's not uh, uh, that's uh, that's that's a great vision. So, what led to that vision of, of the school? Yeah, I mean, in its, in our early days, it was just um, a unfounded confidence that we could uh, start small and think about things differently uh, from a position of being outside of higher education, of traditional higher education. So my co-founder had uh, started a network of alternative high schools around the country and been a leader in that, in that sector for the past 50 years. Uh, I was coming into it as this uh, really a jazz historian, uh, thinking about improvisation at the heart of way of how we can learn and support one another and that higher education could be drastically different with that founding ethic. Um, but we started as a school for 18 year olds. And one of the drastic shifts that we made is that adults started seeking us out saying, I'm not getting what I need. And this different kind of higher ed that you're doing that was connected to uh, valuing and honoring the, the knowledge making that people do in daily life. That's what I, I want and how that, and that could be useful to me as I'm balancing a full life of work, of family commitments, of community commitments. I don't wanna leave those behind to do college. I want college to reflect and help me do those things better, differently and deeper. Um, also started working really closely with the Ashe Cultural Arts Center in New Orleans. Uh, and uh, we started an, an outgrowth of the college there, not as an individual student coming to us, but as an institutional partner. And, and that to me is also a, a different way to think about higher ed. It's not just a student comes to you and you help them navigate a degree, though we do that. But um, thinking closely with Ashe, we really partnered to see what could it mean to build a higher education experience embedded in a cultural arts organization, thinking deeply about the practices of social justice. And how can higher ed be the excuse for an organization to build its own capacity? to think about succession planning, to think about next generation leadership. And so how is higher education the excuse to do different radical work of imagining, not just for an individual, but, but collectively. And, you know, we've been talking this whole time about College Unbound being something different and innovative and out there is this new, but we also, you know, I wanna think about College Unbound as located in a long and robust lineage of innovation and of learning and of uh, community action. So, I mean, I draw on the legacies of 60s student movements uh, in San Francisco, at CUNY and other places to ensure that 
the curriculum reflects who the students are. Um, and that's about a curricular move that is also challenging things like a meritocracy of admission standards that are built around exclusion. So what could it mean to start a college born out of the belief that everyone deserves the right to a post-secondary education? And if you're there, then it's this different liberatory possibility of coming together to learn together, to change it at the root. And that to me is what, what's radical about us. There's a whole bunch in our curriculum that I'd love to talk about that's very different. But as far as an institutional ethic, that too, I think is different. Talk about your co-founder and talk about how in the world you got accredited. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so Dennis is a, a brilliant dear friend that has been a leader um, in secondary education now and post-secondary for a number of years too, um, who was involved in uh, small school and community ownership of high schools in, in Oceanville, Brownsville years ago. Um, did uh, organizing really change the model of what public school education could be uh, when he moved to New Hampshire and then started this network of new and different schools that was founded in Rhode Island but has since created 100 schools around the country and another 100 schools worldwide uh, built around student internships, around student ownership of uh, their experience and of deep family and community engagement. Uh, to support folks doing uh, a high school curriculum that uh, is embedded into communities of care. Um, the accreditation question, you know, accreditation is a peer review process where you're supposed to show how, uh, how you're a peer institution to other colleges that exist. And so as we're building this very different school, we also want it to be legible to higher education as it is. We wanna show that we have robust learning outcomes and assessment measures and ways to support students through their degree. Um, and we don't wanna just do that. We wanna do that plus show there's different ways to navigate higher education and to have robust learning outcomes and ways to navigate a degree that uh, are liberatory, radical and different. So you said you were, um, I'm assuming in every state, and you said that you were um, international as well. Is that correct? Oh, the, the high schools of my co-founder are. The, uh, the college was just uh, uh, proved to be an, an online school that can um, grow nationwide. Um, and so we're just starting to think about what it means to, to develop college inbound cohorts that can support adult learners uh, wherever they are across the country. Okay, because of course my mind goes to, <laughs> how do you handle the language? If you're going international, yeah, I mean, right. Steve, Steve has trouble talking to people from California. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, as we grow as a school, it's really important that we're, while we want a shared college amount experience for anyone to navigate getting their bachelor's degree. And we have one major called organizational leadership and change. I also want each student to be able to claim the degree as something that looks very different from, for each student so that they're able to do the work that they care about through that. We're not, we're not separating you're in sociology, you're in anthropology, you're in biology. 
We have one major. And within that, small cohorts of students that are connected and built either by place so that they're all from the same city or by affinity where they all care about similar things. They then are sharing across those disciplines and across the school to find ways to collaborate, to learn and, and build from one another. Talk about how many students you have right now and talk about what's a normal length of your curriculum. Yeah, and these are great questions. And I know there's pieces of, of touch upon that we maybe don't have time to fully go into that uh, I'm excited to keep following up on. Um, so we have about 200 students right now. Uh, we also have about a third of our college um, connected to and embedded within uh, carceral spaces. So folks who are, who are locked up, you can't be a college called College Unbound without also thinking about spaces of confinement and how to do liberatory education within and, uh, and helping to navigate re-entry. Um, in some way, we're, we're, we're not exclusively a, a degree completion school, but a lot of folks come to us with past college experience. They also come to us with deep learning experiences in life that maybe haven't happened within college. And we help document and honor that. And so folks at College Unbound are really navigating their degree in three to five semesters um, because they have done so much cool stuff in their life that we want to help them understand and unpack that. And we want as a school to be an advocate for learning wherever and however it happens. Okay, I think an obvious question I know Steve's going to ask. I'm going to ask a question in a minute, but uh, is that expensive? <laughs> um, so I, I really take seriously, um, uh, you know, student debt in general and moves to abolish student debt overall. And um, to think about how a pathway to a degree does not have to be one that uh, cripples and holds you back from uh, the work you want to do following your degree. Um, so we're committed to our bachelor's degree never being more than $10,000 a year for full-time enrollment. But we really want to keep getting that, that price tag down. Uh, things like helping folks document their life experience, um, we don't charge anything for. We want to move people through their degree as quick and as authentically as possible so that we make sure that folks are graduating with, with little to no debt uh, and then able them to both move on and think about ways to, to plug into the school to be the next generation of, of faculty and administration to run and grow the school. I think it's amazing that you're trying to reform education. There's so many different issues involved with it. And I'm sure there's so many hurdles you have to face every single day. It's just one part about it. And, you know, a lot of people look at college now and they, you know, like traditional colleges, and there's so much pressure to get into certain schools. And what's your take on that? You know, just about college in general, education, elitism among education. What's your view broadly about it? Yeah. Um, and we started as a school that was, was a degree completion school. So it was taking seriously the, the hurt and the trauma of folks' past experience in higher ed. It's really, it, it's about um, one out of every 10 folks have started school and not finished. So they're the stories of elite institutions and their 90 whatever percent graduation rate because they are, uh, they have a 4% admittance rate. 
Um, I really want to think about flipping that, that script and say, what does it mean to create space of higher education that are open and that are connected to people's lives? Um, when we were degree completion school, you know, we really understood that trauma. We still understand the trauma, but uh, folks were coming in with the hurt of those past experiences. And so are any students first semester at College Inbound is really a first semester about unlearning, uh, about them knowing that they're going to test the boundaries of the college and about knowing what the curriculum is and that they can develop ownership of that curriculum to say, here's what I care about and here's the directions that my degree needs to help me, uh, help me navigate. Um, though we started as that degree completion school that required past experiences higher, in higher education, thinking about is like adult learners have, uh, shouldn't be 18 to 22 year olds in this like very focused thing. Um, we then grew to a point to say, I don't want someone to have to go through a crummy experience to then find us as this liberatory different way of doing higher education. So we really have embraced a more expansive definition of the adult learner. And, and that more expansive definition is, a, is about three quarters of every college student throughout this country. So of someone who doesn't see their experience as reflected in the on-campus experience, even though that is our imagination of what college is, about three quarters of all college students are adult learners who may still be 18 to 22 year olds, but are also uh, older than that. Our parents are balancing jobs, our returning vets are formerly incarcerated, are folks who don't necessarily fit into that story of what an on-campus experience is. And so they need a higher education that responds to and helps them do the work they're trying to do in the world either already or the work that they need an excuse to really tackle as a, as an, uh, as a college student. Adam, so what's your criteria for going to school? I mean, uh, yeah. can I be a D student and get to school? I would have got it. <laughs> I mean, so what's, yeah. I mean, will you guys accept anybody? Yeah. Um, I, I want to accept anybody that sees the model of edu of higher education that we're doing as something that fits them. Um, and so certainly folks who have had these in past higher education experience, uh, I'm, I, I want them to come to my school because that D may, came, may have come out of uh, a crisis that they were navigating and a school that didn't respond adequately to that crisis with sports. Um, uh, so our admissions and recruitment process is really about relationship building. We want to understand who the student is and we want them to understand our different curricular model that's built out of small cohorts and people tackling projects that they care about um, and working collaboratively in deep relationship with one another. If someone wants that model of higher education uh, to be their pathway to a bachelor's degree, and if we feel that we have the right structures and supports in place to help them successfully navigate that degree, I want them to come here for sure. Maybe a good and bad. Talk about uh, some problems that you've had and then talk about uh, some real great success stories that you've had. Yeah. and. Um, what I'd love to do after this is, is connect you with a couple of our students to maybe hear their story specifically, because I don't, I don't want to speak for them, but, um, you know, and a lot of times folks come to us having lost faith in institutions. Um, yeah. And we need to be an institution that uh, helps show that there's other ways to 
have an institutional ethic of, of care and relationship building. And so that through a path towards the bachelor's degree, they are, uh, they see a place for themselves in higher education towards that bachelor's, but also it, it's really cool. A lot of our students also go on to leadership positions in higher education because then they wanna be the ones helping others um, navigate, navigate this pathway towards a bachelor's degree. Uh, we have stories upon stories of folks who uh, have been sitting on their bachelor's, uh, not able to get a promotion, not able to get that pay raise, not able to do that entrepreneurial side project that they wanted to do because they don't have time. And then being a college student with us allows them to carve out that time and do that important liberatory work and also be seen because they have that piece of paper of the bachelor's degree as being someone who should get that promotion. They, their, their brilliance gets viewed differently. And I wish our world didn't necessarily work that way, but there's a part of it why we needed to become an accredited college is so that piece of paper, so that degree could have that meaning for folks who, who navigate their bachelors with us. How big do you want to be? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll fake answer your question. I mean, I want to be as big of a school as, um, as folks need it to be. I don't want to go into our next steps saying, we're going to build a campus here and a campus there, and then we have to support these buildings. We're actually a school that, that grows without building any infrastructure. It's a school that embeds itself within and in partnership with space of learning that already exists. So any public library that wants to really work to support a cohort, any uh, conference room at a nonprofit, any break room during a shift change at a, at a company and office. Uh, I wanna think about how to embed and support a college inbound cohort in those spaces. And because we're not building infrastructure, we really can grow and shrink in this beautiful way. Uh, I'll give an example for that. We, um, a couple of years ago, had a cohort at the United Way of Rhode Island. Every employee that didn't have a bachelor's degree in that organization. And then we helped graduate every employee that didn't have a bachelor's degree in that organization. And so that cohort went away. And now it's going to grow and build up again because there's that that demand for there to be new supports for folks to navigate their degree connected to within that organization. But I don't want us to be a thing that sees it as it's a failure unless that group of students continue to meet their year after year. I wanna be something that grows and shrinks depending on the need where that needs to happen. So as we start to support students um, in Philadelphia through our online school next year, as we start to support students in Chicago uh, in other cities around the country, I want us to grow and shrink in response to the demand and need uh, of places where students are going to come through this degree process. Is one of your goals to be international? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just catching my breath after we just got accredited. But yeah, I will, uh, I will follow the, the need and the demand and the, the partners that uh, are seeking this out, uh, wherever that is. Um, I also, I mean, I want to think about spaces, like I said, about public libraries and of conference rooms. I also think about NBA locker rooms. Uh, I want to think about spaces of learning wherever people are already gathering, wherever learning is already happening. I want College and Bound to be a support for folks to navigate the degree if that's a useful thing to allow them to do the work they want to do in the world. 
I, I, I think it's terrific because I've had a lot of friends of mine who um, their jobs actually pay for their employees to go back to school. So it's, it's just such a value uh, to have this, especially if somebody could be better at the job. Uh, it's really remarkable. I don't know concerns. I mean, opportunities and challenges as we start to grow outside Rhode Island, how to make sure uh, we stay an institution with care embedded deeply within it and with those same founding ethics of shared authority and ownership and of improvisation. Institutions themselves in general resist improvisation. That's what it means to institutionalize, to set up the structures there. And so how can you both set up that space and also have it grow and change shape depending on where it is and who it's working with? Um, so that, that's an interesting both thought experiment and also a real thing that we're, we're working and playing with as, as the college continues to grow. I want it to continue to look different as it does because the moments will change. And we have deep uh, crises as a country that we've got to continue to work with and, and grapple that I think higher education can be a radical space to do that. When I think about climate crisis, uh, when I think about uh, dismantling hierarchies based on race, when I, when I think about how to imagine a different world, I think we need to also imagine different ways of learning together and of valuing one another's uh, full brilliance in, that, in those collective spaces. Awesome. Adam, talk about your family. Oh, my family. Uh, so you've, you've interviewed my wife, Lisa Lee, who's the executive director of the National Public Housing Museum. Yeah, it's awesome. She is awesome. And that project is amazing. And you can see how that also is a space of learning. And she is, she's building an institution. It's also thinking about those same things of improvisation, of building an institution that, that challenges what it means to be a museum much like I'm trying to build a college that challenges what it means to be a college. Uh, I've got two stepkids. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of family in California. And I also have this um, you know, beautiful chosen family of friends and collaborators of, of learners who've really been uh, role models to me and uh, important people that I learn with also. And, I, and I'm really thrilled and honored to be in the space with the two of you to to learn together, to think together. Um, these have been really awesome, important questions. I'd love to also, what, what's been a learning experience for the two of you in your lives that's been an important kind of pivotal aha moment? Steve, you wanna go first? I wanna go first. I, no, I, I was definitely reflecting on my college experience. Uh, I think, you know, it's like when you know better, you do better. You know what I mean? I reflect on it a lot and I think some of it is your expectations about education or trying to figure things out. I went to a big college, University of Michigan, and then I went out of getting a master's afterwards at a smaller institution. And I think, you know, it was, it was a big school and it was overwhelming. And I speak to these people every single day. You know, a lot of my college friends met people from all over the world. Um, I, I think one of the nice things about a school over there uh, that you would meet different people. Like I'll always, I was one of the editors of the school paper and I'll always remember meeting somebody from Flint, Michigan who hadn't been around white people, for example. And he told me that there was a sociology class he took and that they asked him to come up with 27, they, they asked him to class to come up with as many derogatory terms for black people that, that you, know, um, you know, that they could. And they came up with like 35 terms and he came home crying and he was a tough, 
person. He wasn't exposed to it. And I think that in some ways epitomizes what college can be like, not in a destructive way, but just that you're meeting people who are different from you that are outside of, you know, your bubble. So I definitely remember that and making lifelong friends there, you know, in addition to what I learned in a classroom. And I learned more about, you know, I was, I grew up in a small town, Elk Grove, California. So now I'm in, in San Francisco and, and look, when you're in a small town, your goals are, you know, you know, you're going to work and you know, you're maybe going to go to a JC or you're going to work and they're going to go maybe to state college. So I get to USF and you have conversations about guys being, have their own business, being a CEO of companies, uh, meeting people from different countries. Uh, it's an awakening and it really uh, allowed me to think bigger, to think about uh, what can I do? And I'm not bounded by anything other than my own thoughts. So uh, I learned a lot at USF just about my potential. I learned a lot about caring. Uh, if you needed help, somebody was going to help you and how important that is. And then you realize how you were helped and which is, which has really led me back here to assist people on their journey, uh, which for me is really what I should be doing right now. Uh, so I, I learned a lot of lessons here and I'm still learning them and it's, it's, it's been a beautiful thing. So as you're doing what you're doing and assisting people in their journey, wow, that's huge. Um, to, to allow them to complete uh, uh, getting a degree and, and helping them along with their lives. What's better than that? that? That's how I feel too. And it's that the space of radical possibility and how do you uh, come together and then collectively begin to imagine the work you want to do and the ways that you want to be together and create a new world. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, this is, you're, you're, you're helping people fulfill their dreams. It's uh you can't get you can't get any better than that. So, uh, Adam, you're awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to spending more time with him. We'll include Steve with it. Uh, Steve's Steve's pretty radical too, but we are we he's he's a pretty good guy. So, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, um, I'm 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 looking forward to uh, to hearing more about the school, and uh, hearing forward to looking hearing from those stories. Yeah, thanks so much for, for welcoming me into this space and you know, this podcast that, that you've been doing throughout the pandemic has been this really nice centering point of hearing about relationships, about ways people are in one another's lives. And we, we always need those reminders. Uh, so thank you for, for bringing me into here. Awesome. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, lots more work to do together. I really appreciate it.